fellow ag nerds, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of The Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week I get to sit down with the founders, the farmers, the innovators, and investors shaping the future of the ag industry. The question of what are the real problems in ag that need to be solved is one we ask pretty often here on this show. And if you ask that to probably a dozen different people, you're going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 different answers. But one problem that few would disagree with, I think, is the issue of herbicide resistance. As you're about to hear, the tools we've been using for decades are becoming less and less effective. And the pipeline for new active ingredients has been empty for quite some time. Every year, more and more weeds show signs of resistance, which is certainly not a trend that can continue long term. Today's guests are the co-founders and co-CEOs of Israel-based Weedout, a biological herbicide company which uses proprietary pollen to sterilize weeds like Palmer amaranth, otherwise known as pigweed, uh, an awful, awful weed that is developing resistance really around most of the U.S., these two co-founders and co-CEOs, Efrat and Orly, are both accomplished scientists who have already been part of one successful exit. They worked at Rosetta Green there in Israel, which was purchased by Monsanto in 2013. Weedout is a portfolio company of Fulcrum Global Capital who partnered with me on this episode. And before I dive into our conversation with Efrat and Orly, I invited the Fulcrum partners back on the show to give their take on the company, starting with Kevin Lockett. There are short-term solutions today in the market for the problem they're addressing, but no one really has sort of this long-term approach or long-term view of, of a solution. And so what, obviously what they're addressing is they're, they're addressing resistant weeds, Palmer amaranth first or pigweed. What we also like is that it's a platform technology. So water hemp is about a year behind Palmer amaranth, and then they have the ability to address a, a number of weeds that are resistant weeds. So that's what we really like about Weed Out. We really like the team, uh, the team itself, has uh, been a part of another early stage company where they were the lead scientist that uh, was uh, bought out by Monsanto in 2013. Uh, they later went on to uh, become the lead scientist in Monsanto, Israel, and then they've since spun out with this technology as well. And so we came on as their first U.S.-based investor. Our goal is that between Fulcrum and all of our network and relationship, that what we can really bring to weed out is an introduction, if you will, to, to the U.S. market, which ultimately is going to, to likely be one of their first big adoptive markets. So certainly a solid case for wanting to invest in a company like this. And Fulcrum partner John Perriam adds some of the backstory of how they were able to do due diligence on an opportunity like this one. Kevin did not start out as a a weed resistance expert. We obviously were aware of, of weed resistance being a, a big deal in agriculture, but once we got connected with Weed Out, we started to do a deep dive. And for FGC, that means initially having conversations with our own LPs who control a lot of agricultural land and, and really trying to see how big a pain point was this? Where on their list of daily and seasonal worries was this? And, and we learned a lot there and we learned about pricing and we learned about incentives from a producer perspective. And then we reached out through our network to talk to strategics, those who are currently addressing this problem and, and had conversations with them about other applications. And what we learned on first those those LP discussions were this is a massive issue. And, it, and it's one that's getting worse every single year. And it's getting worse because of natural resistance. And it's getting worse because of, of regulatory and you know lawsuits that are springing up. And 
and they aren't creating new modes of action for new products. Uh, and then what we learned when we talked to the strategics were that this type of a technology is incredibly interesting because it's an additional product. It doesn't displace current products. And th- there are a lot of companies that are looking to completely displace traditional agriculture chemicals. And a lot of them are interesting. But what this is, this is an additional product from a strategic perspective that fits very nicely in their current portfolio. Just our process alone allowed us to to identify very quickly sort of where weed out fit within an interest level, both from a from a producer and a strategic level, which really helped us in figuring out our level of interest. You heard John talk about checking with the LPs as part of their due diligence. This stands for limited partners or investors in their venture capital fund. This is actually a key differentiator of Fulcrum. And I'm going to bring back managing partner Dwayne Cantrell at the end of the episode to talk more about that. But for now, I want to drop you directly into our featured conversation about Weed Out. The first voice you'll hear is that of Dr. Efrat Lidor Neely, and then later from her fellow co-founder and co-CEO, Dr. Orly Noivert Brick. Enjoy this fascinating conversation about Weed Out. So our first goal was to, to work on biologicals. And as we were familiar with the significant issues that resistant weeds are causing in the U.S. specifically, we uh, thought that this target is something that we can bring a novel solution to because weed control is mostly with chemicals. There are also cultural approaches, of course, but there are not widely available biological solutions. This is a niche that still needs a lot of efforts. So we identified this specific niche and we uh, decided to uh, develop ideas towards this direction. And Orly, Efrat mentioned, you know, knowing that it was a problem in the U.S., which I think is impressive just in and of itself, because I would have no idea what the problems are with farmers in Israel. So how do you learn this stuff? I mean, how do you understand kind of what the problems are with farmers, you know, so far away to know that there would be a market here internationally? So as we told you, we worked at Monsanto, which is, a, of course, a global company. From our experience, we heard all the time that weed resistance and resistance in general, also pest resistance, and is a very, very significant problem. We just uh, became familiar with the, the significance of this problem from our experience in Monsanto. After that, we worked there and we decided to attack uh, this problem. And as we continue to focus on this, we understood that this is a very, very significant global problem, not only in the US, also in Europe, also in China, Australia, South America, all over the world. The situation today that there are out of the 26 mode of action of herbicides, 23 already reported to have resistance against. If you look in the last 30 years, no new mode of actions has been introduced into the market. So this is a growing problem and uh, there is no new solutions to the growers and really very, very problematic that the solution that all the different chemical companies are using is, is mixtures of different mode of actions together in order to, to handle this growing problem. And it's a good Solution at, at first, but it's only temporary. It's, it's a short-term solution. And uh, we, we definitely believe in our perspective that the solution is in integrated weed management. So 
combine together different tactics. We, we definitely believe that herbicides are needed in order to, to grow successfully enough crops and, and food, but it should be uh, combined together with also a biological solution as we provide. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I want to pause on that point here real quick. So if I heard you right, there's 26 different modes of action that all the herbicides on the market use. And it's been that way for over 30 years. There hasn't been a new one added to that list in 30 years. And 23 of them have proven instances of resistance in some weed somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. And so over the past 30 years, we've been just saying, oh, we've got some resistance, but let's just mix it with this other one. And over that time, eventually we got to 23 out of the 26. And I'm sure we're growing in the number of weeds that are showing signs of resistance. It's more complicated because the evolution continued to develop new resistance. And there are many cases of multiple resistance in specific weeds. For example, there are Variants with uh, four and five and even seven resistance in parallel against different uh, mode of action. So there are cases that there is no new tools to the grower very soon to, to use. And this is why in order to slow down this process of uh, uh, resistant development, it's very important to combine new tactics. Well, I know one of the solutions you're focused on is for Palmer amaranth. And maybe we can talk about this devil weed of Palmer amaranth here a minute, because I've talked to other people, both farmers and researchers, trying to address this problem. And it just seems like it's out of control. I mean, it's a, it's a major, major pain point for growers. Maybe talk about why it's such a horrible weed, because then that might give us an understanding of why resistance develops in the first place. So, so palmer is very, very aggressive. It can reach several meters height. Uh, when growing, it can produce uh, up to even million seeds. Very, very competitive uh, when you compare it to the, the crop. According to publications from the USDA, it can reduce corn yields up to 91% and soybean yields up to 79%. So the impact of this palmer on the crop and the yield for the farmers is really enormous. It's ranked as the, as the most troublesome weed in the U.S. year after year in surveys that have been conducted. So indeed, it's considered a plague in the U.S. Yeah, it's a major problem that I don't think, I don't think it makes enough headlines. Like what a big issue this is and that it gets worse every year, right? There are a lot of publications uh, on the problems that Palmer is causing uh, due to its, uh, as Orly said, aggressiveness in the field. So, mm -hmm. Well, uh, Efrat, maybe you could talk about your solution or, or maybe even back up further. Obviously, this is not an easy problem to solve. It's a, it's a very complicated, difficult problem. And, and there's a reason why it's been 30 years since we've had any sort of advancement in trying to solve it. What made you guys think that you could do this? And uh, what, what approach did you take to coming up with a solution? Of course. So as we said, we sat and brainstormed to identify ideas to solve the problem, uh, the specific problem of uh, weed resistance and specifically palmer amaranth. And uh, we bring a totally new approach. Instead of continuing down the same path, we are uh, looking on the reproduction system of the weed as our target, and we are using sterility techniques. Sterility techniques have been used since the 1940s in order to eradicate undesired population of insects, such as flies or mosquitoes, 
by releasing into the air sterile males that fertilize females and lead to formation of aborted offsprings. And actually, this is the first time that sterility techniques have been used in the field of weed control. So our technology relies on the development of a unique proprietary weed pollen. The pollen has two different properties. First, it needs to efficiently fertilize the female weed oval. And the second property is that this fertilization event actually leads to a formation of an aborted seed. And by that, we are blocking resistant seed formation. So we decided to tackle this from the reproduction system because it's clear that once you apply the chemicals, all the sensitive weeds are dying, right? So you are left in the field only with the escaper ones, the ones that did not respond to the chemicals. And these then proliferate with one another, thus causing a simple population drift towards more and more resistance. And this is exactly the stage that we focused on, this stage of reproduction, and with our unique proprietary weed pollen, that is fertilizing the female weed oval, yet leading to a formation of an aborted seed, we are blocking this process because we are coming when these weeds are flowering and proliferating with one another and applying our unique pollen product and causing the formation of aborted seeds that are entirely incapable of germinating in the following year. So we are actually reducing significantly the seed bank year after year. And is this pollen genetically engineered to do this? No, so the pollen is not genetically engineered. The pollen undergoes a simple physical treatment of X-ray radiation, similar to what is done in the sterile insect control, which is considered one of the safest uh, methods ever developed that also led to reduction in the amount of chemicals that are used. So we are using the physical treatment of X-ray radiation as the methodology to create our product. You know, the way you make it sound, it's like, well, this was done in insects, and so now we're just going to do it in weeds. And of course, it's way more difficult than that. Otherwise, right, uh, plenty of other people would be doing it. Talk to us about the hard part. What is the hard part about making this happen on a weed like Palmer Amaranth? So, of course, there are a lot of challenges. We need to manufacture a lot of pollen, and the pollen is a biological material in contrast to chemicals. So you need to be able to preserve it for a long duration. You need to be able to apply it in a way that it will maintain the functionality. And of course, you're competing in the field with the natural pollen that is widely spread uh, on a daily basis. So you have quite a competition here to succeed with a minimal amount of applications to result in a significant reduction in the amount of seeds. And this is, of course, uh, our goal. Of course, we are playing here with the right timing, the right dose uh, of applications and all the parameters that are directed and the fact that we are uh, conducting massive artificial pollination at once was identified as a major effect on the plant because in contrast to the gradual artificial pollination that takes place naturally in the field, once you apply massive artificial pollination on the female weed, it leads the female weed to shift its resources from further growth into seed development. And in our case, the seeds are aborted. So actually, the fact that we massively pollinate the female weed at once also causes a growth inhibitory effect. So uh, this is one of the things that our treatment, in addition to the abortion of seeds, is causing. And this allows us to reduce the amount of uh, applications that are required. And Orly, is there a concern here that this is just the next thing that the, the weed is going to develop a resistance to and that we're just kind of like delaying the inevitable here and kind of why or why not? 
So because we are using the natural reproduction system of the weed, which is very basic, nature is always smart and we cannot exclude this. But I think it will be very, very difficult to find ways to bypass the natural reproduction mechanism. We are using the natural pollen, we are actually irradiating it. It cannot be distinguished, the, the female weed cannot distinguish between natural pollen and our pollen. So I believe that this will be very, very complicated. But you can, in nature, you could never say uh, never. But as I said, we see our technology as part of an integrated weed management. And this is why we believe that this will slow down dramatically the resistant development because we believe using different tactics and this is one tactic and and I say I cannot think how it can develop resistance against but uh, together with our uh, different tactics it's even less probable. And we, we also think that the fact that we work alongside the chemicals will actually make the chemicals shelf life longer because now once chemicals are applied then there is the resistance development. And by blocking resistance with using our own method, then you can extend the lifetime of the chemicals that are currently used instead of switching to more toxic chemicals, to more applications. In the past, they were only, would only apply one application in the field. These days they are applying multiple applications of chemicals because of the resistance. So actually by blocking resistance, we are preserving the entire set of products that are available today and making them efficient for many more years. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. How is this applied? It's pollen. So first of all, like I'm sure it has to be you know, well-preserved to make sure that it's still effective when it gets to the, the weed, but also how is it applied in the field? So currently we are developing a large-scale methodologies to, to apply this in the field. We are developing an adjustment tool that will be adjusted to the boom sprayer and will allow to spray it in a dry formulation. It can be also fitted to drones for in the future because the pollen is very, very lightweight and it can be sprayed using drones and using precision spraying. And in parallel, we also are working on the development of wet formulation. If successful, we will be able to apply it with the standard boom sprayers. But currently, we are working on development of adjustment for the dry application. And the solution itself is specific by nature because palmer pollen will not affect in any way the crop in the field. It's very specific, like a cat and a dog would not mate with one another. So palmer pollen will not fertilize, of course, the crop. So in that sense, we can uh, apply the product on a broad uh, acres or alternatively, if uh, we will be successful, as Orly said, in uh, development, or for instance, to apply using drones, then we can apply specifically. But the material itself does not require to apply specifically. Of course, we can apply much less if we will be specific and directed. But generally, we can apply it also on the entire field, and it will only affect the palmer plants. And how tight of a window do we need to hit on a palmer plant? You know, I think about other pollination for some crops is a very small window. So how restricted are we? And, you know, if we apply the pollen, do we have to hit a very tight pollination window for this? So the flowering period for palmer amaranth is a longer period. It's not a very tight window. The flowering period is approximately 50 days. 
And inside this uh, time window, uh, we estimate that there will be a need for three applications of our product. So there is a certain time slot that the pollen will be applied, but it's not a very tight window. Uh, it, it will allow the farmer some flexibility in the ability to apply the pollen according also to environmental conditions, similarly to what is done with chemicals. It's not going to be a specific day or something like this. It will be a window. Inside this window, we will instruct the farmer to apply, and then there would be a certain interval. Uh, all of these things are things that we are working on to identify uh, the optimized regimen for the treatment. But uh, once he applies the first time, then there would be a sort of an interval until reaching, uh, completing the entire set of treatments. And you mentioned drones early. You know, we had uh, Rantizo on the show, which has a drone sprayer, and they said they have applied pollen from the drone. You know, I could see something like that working really well with your product to, you know, eventually get to the point of precision where we know exactly where the weed is and can get the application right to it in a cost-effective way. Are you kind of partnering with drone companies to explore that option, or what does that look like? So we definitely agree that this is a great opportunity that we should explore further. We are not yet cooperating with any uh, drone company, but this is something that we see as an opportunity. Our strategy is first to fit our technology to the standard tools that all farmers have. And the second layer, we will continue and see this and explore this uh, opportunity to spray it using drones. Well, what about, you know, can this same process be applied to other weeds that are a big, big problem? And if so, do you have like a most wanted list that you're trying to go after next? Yes. Yeah, so, so our second product is targeting waterham, which is also a highly problematic uh, weed in the U.S., causing also a lot of problems uh, in row crops. And we've already demonstrated the proof of concept with using our method uh, for waterham. And obviously, we have uh, also a long list of uh, additional weeds that are highly problematic and uh, would be subjected to our uh, method. So we definitely see this as a platform technology that can be applicable to many more weeds. Uh, of course, uh, it would fit the most uh, to weeds that are wind-pollinated and uh, cross-pollinated, uh, which are the ones that tend more to develop resistance. Because one of the reasons, for instance, that Palmer has uh, developed so much resistance is because it's uh, reproducing by uh, cross-pollination and through wind. So there is a lot of variation, and hence there is a lot of room for resistance to develop. Uh, so our methodology would fit mostly to weeds that are cross-pollinators and wind pollination, but we believe it can fit also other weeds that are, uh, for instance, self-pollinators, but have the possibility to cross. We think that our methodology could also fit, but this would be the second uh, layer. The first targets that we are approaching are targets that are based on uh, wind pollination and cross-pollinators. Uh, uh, now, you mentioned, obviously, that this can help extend the shelf life of you know, traditional herbicides, which might make a lot of sense as to why you know Syngenta has been, I think, a lead investor in you in the past. Can you talk about the raising money process, how that has been for you, and, and sort of uh, what type of strategic opportunities there might be in a, you know, a corporate venture arm investing in you? So as you mentioned, indeed, uh, Syngenta Ventures uh, is the lead investor in the current round. In the beginning, if, if we're talking about uh, raising funds, so 
Our first uh, funds came from SIF, uh, which is a Chinese investor fund that invests in innovation in Israel, which was in the beginning. Actually, we uh, raised the first funds over the idea itself, even before we had uh, a proof of concept. This was uh, the first stage and the first one that uh, believed in us. And afterwards, as we progressed, uh, of course, we demonstrated the proof of concept, which was a very exciting uh, process, and reached the stage where actually we approached Syngenta uh, Ventures uh, to join the company. As said, uh, we feel that we should uh, work together. We see, as Orly mentioned, the integrated with management approach as the leading approach and the realistic approach uh, to deal uh, with this problem. And uh, with our uh, previous uh, past experience with working in a global company, we definitely see a lot of advantages in uh, working uh, together alongside the companies uh, such as uh, Syngenta because of all the knowledge and expertise that it brings. So immediately, if there is a need, to consult, of course, uh, we can use this. And for a company coming uh, from Israel that has uh, limited resources, obviously joining such a big company with all its uh, in-house knowledge can help us uh, grow. And uh, of course, the IP is totally separated and there is no uh, conjugation. But once there are questions to ask, then uh, of course, it's very comfortable to have uh, somebody that you can consult with uh, to understand situations or needs according to farmers and all of these uh, directions. And uh, recently, we were very, very lucky to have also a Fulcrum Global Capital join our investors, which brings uh, also with them a set of farmers behind them that can uh, assist us also uh, learning uh, from their experience. They have also a lot of experience in the agriculture field which we are sure we will benefit uh, significantly from. So we, uh, we feel uh, very, very fortunate with our uh, investors. We also have uh, Zora Impact Fund, which is uh, an investor uh, coming in, a uh, U.S. Uh, fund that also believes in the impact world, which also assists us uh, significantly on all the, the matters of uh, impact and providing uh, a better world. Uh, we also have a Radical Growth VC, uh, which is our investor. Actually, in Israel, uh, there was uh, the first uh, Israeli Radical Challenge uh, that was conducted in 2019. And uh, we were uh, very uh, excited to be selected to win the, the Radical Challenge in Israel. And uh, as the part of the win, uh, Radical Growth VC, uh, together with our crowd, uh, has invested also in the company. Very cool. This latest round of funding that you raised, kind of, you know, what are your priorities to to get to the next stage with that money? Kind of where, where is the business currently? And, uh, what, you know, what's next? So we are working hard on the product development, of course, to improve the product, uh, to define all the different parameters of the product. Uh, as said, to optimize all the parameters, we are working on the storage of the product. We are working all, on all the different layers of uh, the upscaling, which is, of course, required, uh, the manufacturing process of the pollen, uh, which we haven't discussed. But, of course, we need to grow uh, the Palmer uh, male plants and collect pollen on a daily basis because this is the basis for the product. So we actually have uh, net houses where we grow the pollen and we have developed machinery 
uh, to collect efficiently the pollen. Before, we, we used to work manually uh, with vacuum tools to collect the pollen, and we have developed uh, machinery to collect the pollen. This is an ongoing process, of course. So uh, this, these are a part of our efforts. We are working on the upscale uh, related also to the application, as Orly mentioned, uh, the application tool that uh, we are developing. So, uh, of course, we are working on the regulatory aspects also of the product. Uh, so we are progressing also in terms of uh, regulatory-wise. Uh, we already know that the product will be classified uh, in the biological uh, as a biochemical pesticide track. Uh, which is uh, excellent news uh, from our perspective because it will result in a situation where the regulatory process would be with significantly reduced costs and significantly shorter timeline and will enable us to conduct it uh, and reach the market uh, sooner. And Orly, any farmer that's listening that, that has had a problem with Palmer resistance just wants to get this now, I'm sure. They're like, okay, well, I'm ready. Where is it? Uh, how soon can they expect to actually get the, this product in their hands? So uh, to farmers, it will take uh, a bit. We expect uh, that product will be launched in uh, 2023. And uh, we will be very, very interested to reach the farmers that, uh, and to get their, also their feedback and perspective that will try and use this and, and see the impact. But uh, it's, as Fat mentioned, it's, it's still under development and upscaling in order that they will be able to spray it. We are still developing uh, the tools that are needed. There are, of course, a lot of challenges uh, yet ahead, but the farmers, we believe, will enjoy significant reduction in resistant weeds. So it will create a much more sustainable uh, agriculture because if you're looking a few years ahead, this will have a very, very dramatic impact. If a farmer will apply the product year after year, then he will significantly reduce the amount of uh, resistant weeds that he has in his field and farmers are obviously aware of the significant and increased costs that they are currently using in order to handle resistant weeds. And this is on the increase. So by applying our product, they will have, of course, they will enjoy a long-term solution, which is something that is very dramatic. We are aware of the fact that since this is a totally novel strategy, it will require them to have more patience because the solution will be in the field the application will be done during late season. So after the farmer will apply it, it's sort of a pre-treatment for the following season. And then he will enjoy it because in the next season, he will have much less resistant uh, seeds emerging and he will be able to reduce the amount of chemicals that he is using throughout the season. So we will actually have to wait. And this is uh, something that is maybe new in the perspective, more similar to tillage or to other cultural approaches that he is uh, using. Uh, but we believe that since the problem of resistance is so severe, and since uh, currently there are no available solutions except for hand weeding, once a farmer will observe in his field that he has many escaper weeds, uh, he will want to apply our product in order to avoid a situation where in the following season he would have a much more uh, infested field. You know, I see that uh, 
challenge of needing to think long term. But at the same time, you know, if you showed up with an app that said, you know, farmer, I want you to try this app and it'll bring you more information about your farm and try it. It's kind of like, oh, okay. But if you show up and say, hey, if you have Palmer Amaranth resistance, you know, this will work. It's like, okay, I'll take a leap of faith on that because the risk is more than worth the reward. It's such a pain point. So, no, I think that makes sense. But at the same time, I don't think it's going to slow you down at all. Well, let's talk about, um, you know, ag tech in Israel real quick. I'll give each of you a chance to give a uh, give a shout out to another ag tech startup in Israel that you think is doing really interesting work that maybe we should have on the show in, in the future. I think uh, Taranis is uh, one of the biggest and famous uh, companies which is doing an amazing job uh, on identifying uh, pests in the field and uh, providing the farmer with this uh, knowledge using, again, AI and precision tools to identify this, which is really an expertise in Israel. A lot of people uh, coming from this uh, arena, so I would say that I would definitely recommend uh, inviting them uh, to the show. I think they are an amazing company. Uh, we are familiar uh, with Ophir Shalem, uh, the CEO, from uh, the beginning of the process, so they underwent really an amazing growth, and we totally uh, appreciate all the past that they have done. So uh, this is an excellent recommendation. There are many. There is Groundwork that is doing also biological solution. And there is Equinome, which is breeding uh, and develop new new strains. There are many, many startups. Uh, I think that it's, it's hard to mention uh, only uh, one or two. Definitely Israel is... is wealth in, 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 in innovation. Well, you, you definitely, I could pick up from hearing your answers earlier about, you know, you're very mission driven with this. You really see this making the planet a better place and, and kind of want that. And I think that's great that that shines through so much. But I'm just curious about, you know, you've all already been through one exit. You're venture funded now. So eventually, you know, they're going to want some sort of payback. What do you want to happen? What do you want to see from this long term from this company? You know, you've had this experience and I'm curious kind of how you hope this plays out. I think what would be amazing uh, is to see this come to life. Actually, this is the, the main motivation to actually be able to bring farmers a solution that they will use and will reduce the amount of chemicals that is applied in the field. So this is the mission. And obviously, we would be very happy to be able to expand our portfolio of products to additional uh, types of problematic weeds, to additional modes of action of biological materials, to bring this to become a bigger uh, company that is a leading company worldwide in this field uh, with a lot of interesting research going on and actually bringing this uh, to uh, practical uh, results, not only staying in the research because one of the things that we really like in our solution is the fact that, first of all, it's a real product, uh, which is something that is sometimes rather unique because many companies are more focused on technology that are uh, data-driven, which is also very neat. But in our case, we like the fact that we have an actual product uh, that the farmer will have in his hands. Uh, so this is something that is very inspiring. And also, since the beginning, we had specifically in our vision what the, the end product would uh, look like, which we are now uh, bringing uh, into life step after step, going 
all through the stages, but it's very practical. It's not that we started with a very, very basic research, that there is a, a huge screen, and then you start and you narrow down things, but rather we have uh, the product at mind, and then we are going uh, towards that step after step. Orly, anything to add or closing thoughts? I think that bringing a product into the market to the grower that will use it will be incredible. And if it will also assist the planet to be more sustainable, uh, we are there, definitely. Thank you both for, for doing this. Really appreciate it. Anything else that we didn't get a chance to get to just uh, that you want to make sure we mention before I let you go? We appreciate the opportunity and we thank you very much. Uh, we enjoyed speaking with you and uh, we hope to have uh, more uh, talks in the future once uh, things progress and uh, we will be uh, happy to update you uh, with additional uh, products and additional uh, successes uh, of the company. That sounds great. I'm sure everybody's thinking like, okay, well, we're ready for it now. So, you know, 2023 can't come come quick enough. But uh, I'm sure you've got a lot of a lot of work to do. But we, I appreciate the time. I'm excited for this. This is this is one that truly solves a real pain point, not just a like a hey, wouldn't it be nice if? It's like something that hey, we really need a solution for this, and that in itself gets me excited. And of course, all the work that you've done to this point. So, uh, wishing you continued success and excited to see uh, your journey from here. Great company and technology led by some truly outstanding people. Thank you so much both to Efrat and Orly for being on the show. And I need to give a special shout out to Zev Weiss, who's the president of Weed Out. He was also supposed to join us, but couldn't due to some technical difficulties. Sorry we missed you, Zev, but hopefully you can join the next one. Something you may notice about the episodes I've done with Fulcrum is many of their portfolio companies that we're featuring often contain a keen insight into farmer customers. That's partially because many of the investors, the LPs into Fulcrum's fund, are from production agriculture or related industries. Managing partner Dwayne Cantrell sees this as a big advantage. About two-thirds of our investor base are large ag operators and producers. And so if you took the collective or cumulative uh, livestock production uh, of our investor base, it would represent about 3 million head of beef cattle production a year, the largest supplier beef to Tyson, the largest supplier beef to National Beef, for example, our investors in our fund, but also you know, significant uh, representation in dairy and swine and less so poultry, but also on the ag side, certainly in crops, about 400,000 acres of croplands, probably 100, 150,000 acres of grazing and grasslands, and then other agricultural industry like ag banking, ag trucking, and ethanol production, and implement dealerships and irrigation dealerships. So it's a very rich kind of base that we utilize as our advisors as well. We just finished a panel recently with a group of investor advisors that we uh, presented four companies to none of which we may actually invest in. It's still early, but it also allows us to get input on those companies, that technology, but two, gives them an access, our investors access to technologies that may be of interest to them from a trial perspective or early adoption. And so we see this as a two-way street that they benefit and gain not just from returns on the fund, but also access to technologies that may be helpful in their operations that allow them to make those investments. So 
we think that's a uniqueness um, that we have and something that we value greatly. And, and as we kind of position ourselves going forward, Tim, we really like to see ourselves as kind of the VC arm, if you will, of the U.S. producer. I just love that concept of having the producer be part of making the investments and, of course, benefiting from the company's success. Thanks again to Fulcrum Global Capital for partnering with me on some of these podcast episodes. And thank you for your time and your attention. I really don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Innovation.